Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny X's for Podcasts, where we examine the Uncanny comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion. I'm your host, Jonah. I'm Kyle. And I'm Nico, and we hope you survive the experience. And speaking of survival, we have made it through nine months and 25 episodes of X's for Podcast, and that puts it at the end of the school year. So of course, here at Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, that means it's graduation day. And one of our merry mutants is graduating. This will be Kyle's final episode as a regular contributor here at Excess for Podcast, but he and I have a little something super special cooked up. Those of you who have been paying attention actually heard us start developing it on air one day. Kyle, it's great to have you back for one final regular episode. I'm happy to be here. And of course, we couldn't do this thing without you, Jonah. It's been amazing getting to cover all of these issues with you. So, Jonah, it's, it's a little crazy here. You're not going to be the new guy on the block anymore. You started this podcast, the guy with the least experience, but whoever's coming on now, they're going to be a little bit behind. How does it feel to be like experienced mutant man? Well, now I can feel like I'm not the kitty pride, but now I can be an already established member. I want to be like Kurt, and that just means I'm going to start speaking more German. Not really, but it's pretty interesting. It's been a wild ride, really. and It's been a lot of fun developing this project and seeing where we take it. I didn't expect the amount of work that can go into this, but I also didn't expect the amount of comics that we're dipping into. And even if it's just one appearance, it still counts and can make some form of an impact, whether good or bad, depending on your interpretation. Most of these side appearances are bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of something good and something I never expected... Here at Excess for Podcast, we have brought on a whole number of amazing new contributors, and we have brought them in today to talk a little bit about their favorite characters. So here's one of our new ex-contributors with one of their favorite characters. Hello, listeners. I'm Matthew, and my favorite X-Man is Jean Grey because she makes a beautiful corpse. My favorite X-Man and why? A report by Matthew Scott. Okay, kidding aside... My favorite X character is Emma Frost, and anyone who knows me knew that answer was coming. Emma is the first self-made cosplay I've ever done, and I will do it until I can't get away with running around conventions shirtless anymore. There's something about inhabiting that character that just brings up the most confident version of myself there is. I met Emma in Joss Whedon's Astonishing Run. It was my first foray into X-Men, and out of the core cast, Emma was the only character I had never ever even heard of before. I fell in love almost instantly. She's sexy, she's no-nonsense, smart as a whip, and cares so deeply for her students it hurts, not to mention that she has a razor-sharp tongue and the wit to match. To me, Emma is the perfect middle ground between Xavier and Magneto. She isn't out for assimilation, or we're just like you, bullshit, but she also isn't gunning for all-out war against humanity. She just wants the world to be safe from mutants, and she's willing to move into gray morality in order to get that to happen. She's practical and efficient, which are traits I admire, 
But she's also passionate and caring. She'll be the first to verbally eviscerate someone, and she isn't exactly a warm person. I mean, hell, her last name is Frost. But a great deal of her motivation comes from a place of love. At her core, she's a teacher, and in her way, a maternal figure. While her characterization has had its ups and downs, most notably the outright character assassination that was in Humans vs. X-Men, that is one trait that has stood the test of time. If you fuck with her students, she will wreck you. She wasn't exactly Laura Kinney's biggest fan, but she traumatized the absolute hell out of Laura's tormentor, because Laura was one of her students. Honestly, she should just get a tattoo that says, the only one allowed to fuck with my students is me. I will die on the hill that is Emma Frost, and sweet dear god how I pray Hickman's upcoming run gives her her due, rather than the weird hit-or-miss limbo she's been in ever since Soul bastardized her in IVX. In case it isn't painfully clear, I have some opinions about that story. Give me the Emma we saw in Leah Williams' X-Men Black issue, and I will be one very happy nerd. I debated which quote I wanted to end this with, but I can't think of a better one to summarize Emma than simply this. I am a diamond. I am, by definition, my own best friend. As always, you can find me on Instagram at UppityLittleHomo. That's U-P-P-I-T-Y-L-I-T-T-L-E-H-O-M-O. Kyle, I'm pretty sure I promised you fun and that you would eventually get to good stories. I, I didn't think that it was going to be because you were going to become a special guest star and only appear on the best stuff, but good for you and good for the best stuff. You're walking away 25 episodes richer for X-Men and the X-Verse, and I know you read a lot of stuff you'd never read before. Was it exciting trying to experience X-Men live? That was the whole goal here, create a live experience, read it as it was happening. Yeah, it was. I honestly wasn't expecting so much crossing over at that point in time. I wasn't expecting all these different characters to just show up. It, it was just kind of eye-opening just how much they were trying to build at that point in time when when I had originally read uh, this era of the X-Men, I only read the dedicated Uncanny X-Men books. Wow, so going back, you literally did the opposite. You read everything but Uncanny this time around. Exactly. So that's really fun because... I had a similar experience. Coming into this, I had never read classic X-Men before, and now I can say walking away from it, I probably won't ever again. I thought classic X-Men was the hardest part to get through almost every episode in and out. Don't get me wrong, Champions was tough, but classic X-Men was a drag. Jonah, you must have been thinking I was crazy when I signed up to do this exclusively to read some of those classic X-Men stories. Just a little bit, uh, just from listening to the Champions episodes, I think it's a different kind of bad, because you're expecting the Champions to be bad, it wasn't given a lot of love, and it wasn't given the TLC that the series could have had with such a pretty interesting cast of characters. Classic X-Men is already already has established characters that you already have people who love and know well, and have all these great things about them that drove people to read the comic in the first place. But the classic story sometimes felt like it was undermining certain work that was done in the past. Weird retcons that don't make sense if you're reading things linearly. It's it, it wasn't stuff you were expecting to be bad, and it felt like a lot of the stories were not necessary. I completely agree. As we were saying a few minutes ago, 
Kyle, you've read the original Uncanny Run, so you're familiar with the original stories. I know you only read a handful of classic with us, but did you have the same adverse reaction to classic that we did? Well, I think that the classics that I did read weren't the worst ones that we could have read. So I don't think I was as affected by the subpar content. And a lot of the stories that we did read were stories that I had heard about but had never actually sought out before. So it was kind of nice seeing those stories, even if they weren't the best written. So for you, you enjoyed the opportunity to go back and get more stories from the era that you already knew you enjoyed. Exactly, yes. That's really interesting. I felt in a lot of ways like, yeah, these stories did undermine a lot of what we loved about the era. But that doesn't mean that I was completely against all of them. I did get some things out of the expanded characterization that we were able to get. I wish there had been a few more things dedicated to maybe, let's say, Banshee. Which, can we take a second? It seems like every book, there was a character that got dicked over as hard as possible. Banshee was allowed so few lines. Ghost Rider was allowed so few lines. It was almost impossible to recognize them as regulars in these titles. I think Moira outpaced Banshee at one point. What did you guys think? Yeah, we often joked about Banshee being the redheaded stepchild of the X-Men. It was just really unfortunate because you're giving characters lines and characterization you're supposed to make me fall in love with a team but certain team members like banshee weren't getting the spotlight that they deserved especially in issues where it should have been really focused on them a la them going to cassidy keep and banshee not really doing much it's really interesting i would love to know at that time in marvel why what was the thought process of who gets what lines who's getting a story who gets the spotlight who would take who where and why it often felt like that banshee was on the back burner he's a pretty interesting character something i like is he's more older he's already an established character he's not this the new young hot thing from around the block joining the x-men he's kind of a little he's an older gruff man he's drawn very handsomely now but before, not so much. But it's something a little bit fresher than having young new kids come in. And I think that's one of the things that defines the X-Men in a positive way. It's not all just young teens plus Xavier like it was in the early days. Especially with the reinvigoration of youth into the title with the addition of Kitty, the X-Men give us a really broad sense of the mutant world. Unfortunately, it's a little too white, and as a matter of fact, it occurred to me that there is only one black character who was a regular through any of our main titles. Sure, we had additional appearances from Bill Foster over in Champions, but it was kind of like the entirety of black superheroics rested on the shoulders of Storm and the occasional appearance of Misty Knight. Now, as a gay man, I completely recognize that 1970s comics and 1980s comics were not looking to service my readership, but it is disappointing to see how little diversity there is. Chris Claremont is going to work hard to fix that as much as he can, although we will remain with a way too low diversity count and inclusion rate for ethnicity 
going forward, it is a positive step that Claremont is going to try and take in the next few years. Were there any other shocks for you, Jonah, coming into this? Things you just hadn't expected? You know what? I I really wasn't expecting the death of Thunderbird or a, any character that's supposed to be coming off main established to happen so early. Characters can die and you can kill off characters and that's great. It's I think we talked about it that you don't want your readers to feel like everybody is safe and become complacent. But that happened so fast. What was it? Two issues after we were introduced to him in Giant Size X-Men number one. That seems so, I don't almost want to say counterproductive, because what was the point of introducing his character? His death didn't really serve a noble purpose outside of showing the X-Men they can die, but they're all so powerful that I highly doubt they'll ever be in those situations sometime soon. It was really just jarring that a character that wasn't given much love to begin with because he didn't come off the warmest or the most likable when he first started, unless you're reading the classic number one. He was just kind of another character that was given the back burner, and then they were like, well, we have to kill someone. And I think your only two options that at that point are killing Banshee or Thunderbird. And I think they were just like, we can do more with Banshee than we can do with Thunderbird. So it's actually that when Len Wein plotted this, he knew that the only way to make people believe that this new X-Men meant business was to kill someone off quickly. It was a way to establish drama and severe consequences early on in a powerful way. I actually think that was one of the things that held the champions back. I felt like there was no forward momentum and certainly no consequences. Kyle, did you ever feel like champions was just going nowhere? definitely felt like it was going nowhere i mean every other issue it was just them either fighting themselves or trying to protect themselves against some random villain and you had characters that were supposed to be main characters who weren't even in half the stories like ghost rider and then you had characters that it felt like they were going to become members of the teams, and they just got added too late. And not just added too late, but they didn't take the time to consider how the characters would interplay with the story and advance the dynamic of the team. One of the most important things when you're trying to put together a team book is generating a cast that comes together to propel the story. Early on, it felt like Uncanny X-Men wasn't going anywhere either because it was nothing but infighting. That also kind of held back Marvel Team-Up. I know we covered like 12 or 13 of them, but oh my god, Marvel Team-Up and the Superhero Fighting Brigade. It almost felt like they were relying too heavily on the popularity of Spider-Man to carry the story through and to get people to read the other comics associated with either Spider-Man or the character that they were featuring. But the, what we've read wouldn't want to make me read about the other characters because they were so removable. Nobody in a Marvel team-up ever felt like to me they had to be there, and that was their story. Kyle, when we read Marvel team-up, it seemed like it was almost never about Spider-Man. <laughs> we read so many issues where Spider-Man was the starring character. Do you feel like you're walking away from this understanding who Peter Parker is? No, I, I honestly don't have any idea who... Peter Parker is through these books because it feels like 
he's just a generic Spider-Man. He never changes between any of these books. Which is so funny because one of the things that we have said is a problem is we feel like our characters don't change enough, but we commented that it felt like no matter which issue of Marvel team-up you were reading, with the exception of being in the middle of an arc, Peter Parker was an interchangeable character over the course of some nine years of stories. Well, let's take a moment and hear from another one of our X's for Podcast contributors. Hey everybody, so it's been my pleasure to bring in so many amazing new contributors here to the Cage Club Network, and this next contributor is absolutely no different, and there would be no possible way to talk about Jean Grey without going to a strong, smart woman in fandom and getting a woman's perspective on this whole situation, and I'd like to welcome one of the smartest women in fandom I know, Tori. Hi folks, I'm Tori. Tori, it's been amazing not just being your friend, but working with you on Kid Riot, the much-plugged and much-vaunted Kid Riot, and the incredible perspective you bring. You are somebody who definitely thinks about fandom as a living, breathing creature that we should nurture, and and it's really terrific to get your perspective on things. So it was just a perfect fit to have you come on and talk a little bit about the perspective you have on my favorite topic, Gene, especially after it came up the other day. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience with comics and fandom in general? So to be honest, I hadn't read a whole lot of comics until I actually started to be really good friends with Nico. I spent much of my youth, I watched the, if we're going to talk specifically about X-Men, I watched the 90s cartoon. I felt my little little bisexual heart aflutter with the X-Men Evolutions show. I started watching the Marvel movies when they came out. I saw the first X-Men movie and I'm pretty sure I saw most of X2, although that might have been all in Spanish, in Spanish class. And I think I was just in college when X3 came out and that no longer happened. But I did see uh, X-Men First Class and I've always loved Rogue in particular, but I've also always loved what the X-Men stood for. And so when I started to be better friends with Nico, because I've actually known his husband since we were in high school together or really middle school, but but got closer in high school. I felt that I wanted to get a better understanding of comics, so we started going through some Daredevil stuff, and he started really teaching me um, about the characters in, in X-Men. You know, everybody knows Wolverine, but, like, how much have you read of Wolverine? Like, what do you really know about him? And I would come with my superficial knowledge, and then Nico would just build all the foundation underneath it so that I could understand what I already knew. That was such a comprehensive history, and that's so important to what I want to talk about. And thank you so much for bringing that. So one of the things that's really important is Kid Riot would have fallen apart if Tori hadn't come in and given it a semblance of organization. It's everything Kevo can do to keep me in one piece, so somebody needs to be responsible for keeping the comic line we have birthed sane. And that is where Tori's brilliant analytical mind comes in. And I'm so glad you gave such a thorough background on your fandom and interaction with the X-Men in particular. Because one of the things that strikes me is that Jean Grey is meant to embody female empowerment. And I am Phoenix, I am woman, hear me roar. And it's this idea that she is strong and invincible. And in 
X3, they make all of these terrible hell hath no fury comments. And I don't even understand in what way Gene was scorned. I can't, I can't. It's, it's such a, <clears throat> check phoenix.html for all of my opinions on that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> to me, my thing is that I warned Nico when when we talked about doing this interview that uh, I hadn't really interacted much with Jean Grey in over a decade. I actually used to send him send him and resend him recently the um, link to Max Wittert's Jean and Scott comics because that was the most recent piece that I've I've basically seen her in outside of trailers for this Dark Phoenix movie. And the thing is, is that I don't remember that much about her. I remember a lot about Rogue. I remember a lot about Kitty Pride. I remember a lot about Storm. And I know a lot about Jean. And I remember the Phoenix. I remember the Phoenix a lot. She was pretty freaking cool. But I never liked that we went back to just Jean. Because to me, Jean's most defining characteristic when I... As a child, like as an 8 to 10, maybe 12 year old, because watching those cartoons, it was she had Scott and she was really close with Xavier and she was, I don't know, she was a good human being and good doesn't always entice you and make you excited for the character, so... I have to completely agree. When I think about the very limited perspective on Jean as a character the animated series was able to paint, I'm really disappointed. It's a fascinating thing because that was definitely what drew me into Jean. I loved her in the animated series, but by the time I was 10, I had devoured something like four X-Men crossovers and Dark Phoenix Saga and a number of the early X-Factor issues, and I'd had a foundation built for me of Gene that then translates back to the cartoon in a I-still-get-choked-up-even-though-it's-not-a-great-adaptation kind of way. And I really get how Rogue and Storm are much more dynamic. When I do impressions of either Rogue or Storm, they're very active, super-powery, strong badass impressions but my gene impression is mostly shouting scott yeah that to be the definitive takeaway is terrible yeah it's not good and also like i never i very rarely say thank god for love triangles but thank god for the wolverine half of that love triangle because scott is also the most boring part about gene like, I understand that he's in turmoil and he's the leader and he has to be so serious, but not too serious because that's Colossus's job. But he came off as rather bland to me for her defining characteristic to be, well, I'm with Scott and I'm very powerful, but we don't get to see as much of her power because it's quieter and simpler and, and a more, I guess, passive female oriented power. In the, in the way of, like, female energy versus male energy of positive versus negative kind of um, idea. Uh, she's just... A lot of her stuff is just kind of boring. And I was glad to listen to the covering of, the, of going through the Phoenix Saga on Exodus for Podcast because at least then I learned she has a family. And... There was a lot more to her shift into the Phoenix than I remembered and that there is more to Jean in there. But even so, 
she just doesn't she doesn't stand out and it's not in the way that you don't stand out for being for being too feminine for not being enough of a tomboy for not being enough of a warrior she's got in it's almost like she's got enough of of all of the different archetypes of women but not enough to be an archetype that's a really fascinating way to read it and i get what you mean it's almost like they gave her a bunch of pieces that should add up to a whole character and forgot to fill in the rest. Yeah, I don't know if it's because I never saw her. Like, she's not a particularly like, quippy kind of character. And like I said, I don't remember as much of her as as I have remembered others. But I, you know, I'm familiar with the iconography of her. When she becomes an actual archetype is as part of the Phoenix. And I presume later when she returns, she's an image. She's a greater. She's a god. And you can't. It's hard to relate to a god when they're so hopped up on power that they forget how to be human. And I think that's where she she lands when she becomes important. I really love that read because I come at it from this very, oh man, I feel so much like Jean having shed my old skin. And it seems like I constantly rewrite that old skin that I'm shedding and Every couple of minutes, I'm having a Gloria Estefan coming out of the dark moment, mm-hmm. and it's really exciting. And so I'm always, I am Jean, and I totally relate. <laughs> and it's so important to hear not just another person's perspective, but something that Exist for a Podcast has certainly lacked is the perspective of women, especially as we've been discussing so many female characters that we are saying have been underrepresented. And so it's really important to hear a woman's perspective, especially a woman who not just is a member of fandom, but creates art and contributes to fandom. It's so great to get your input. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of this anniversary special here at Exes for Podcast. Do you have anything else you want to say to the listeners before we return to Grey Malkin Lane? I super cannot wait for us to get to Rogue, and I can't wait to learn more about her for the probably minimal appearances that she actually makes in X-Men based on my Wikipedia dive. I'm excited to see what comes next for X-Men and what comes next with this kind of marvely gang of groups that we have here. Well, we can't wait either, and thank you so much for being a part of this. Thanks, Nico! So... As much fun as the three of us have had, we weren't the only contributor. <clears throat> so for as much fun as the three of us have had, we weren't the only contributors here at X's for Podcast. I'd like to bring on our overseas correspondent, our Captain Britain expert, or at least guy who slogs through it, Kevo. Good day, mate. Yep, that happened. <laughs> That's who I am. So the four of us have read so many comics here at X's for Podcast, and we wanted to talk a little bit about what we thought of them. First and foremost, I want to start with who was everybody's favorite character and who was their least favorite character. I'm going to start with you, Kevo, new guy to the show. Oh, I have to go first? Damn, I didn't know that was going to happen. Okay. You know, I was sitting in the other room waiting to be called in for this episode, and I probably should have been, like, thinking about my answer, but I figured, nah, I'm going to wing it. Speaking of wings, though, I would probably say one of my favorite characters to come out of this project so far, I'm really happy to find, is Jean Grey. I didn't really have a sense of the character before X's for Podcast, and 
really getting to know who she is through the Dark Phoenix arc and everything around it has been really cool for me, knowing how much that character means to my husband. And, you know, I've always just sort of blindly defended you being the guy who does that in life. And now I can genuinely say, no, I really, I really enjoy her arc. I find her to be a very strong character. And it makes me very defensive now portrayals of the character. I don't like the one from the early 2000s films. Sorry, Famke Jansen. I just don't think you did the character justice. As for least favorite, it had been hard for me to consider who my least favorite was until Nico mentioned that one of his was going to be Di Thomas from Captain Britain. Yeah, no, he's just super obnoxious, super obstructive, not good at his job. And it's one thing to have a figure like J. Jonah Jameson be so against superheroes because he doesn't really have a position of any sort of political or law enforcement power. He's just a guy at a newspaper. But this is like a police constable that keeps fucking up cases just because he doesn't like people in capes. I completely get that. And what a great way to transition into mine. I would say that the two characters that rubbed me the worst were definitely Dieter. Thomas, for all the reasons Kevo said, and to be honest, Warren Worthington III, the high-flying angel, just did not do it for me. He comes off flat, one-dimensional, and exclusively like a bank account. It is just unpleasant to read, and of course, my favorite would be the amazing Jean Grey. Sadly, I feel like Brian Braddock did not have the same effect on me in this read, but that makes sense. While I've read this material before, I've read this material before after already falling in love with him in Excalibur. So this material in a vacuum not sitting well with me makes a lot of sense. It's early days for Brian. I fully expect that I'm going to come to appreciate the character a lot more. He's just a little bit bland right now. He's generic. This is the British version of Captain America right now, basically. I'm looking forward to as his personality and his character develop over the years. As am I. Kyle, what characters stood out for you, for better or for worse? So, I think reading through everything that I've read through, you'd think that I would say Iceman, because that's that's pretty much what brought me into this project, but it's Kitty. It's Kitty Pride. Just seeing her introduction and realizing just how capable she is at such a young age, just coming into her powers, just being able to learn how to use them, and she's able to help the x-men within a day and that's just kind of mind-blowing by how just smart she is and it's a good signal for how important she'll be for to the team going forward as for my least favorite character i i mentioned this earlier i'm gonna have to say ghost rider I've said this on multiple occasions, I don't understand why he was part of the champions. He was barely in there, and half the time he was just complaining about being part of the team. So it made the experience of having to deal with him really uncomfortable. I completely get that. He really did come out as a very flat, purposeless character. Jonah, who stood out for you? Well... If you are a fan of this podcast and this isn't your first episode, you will hear me fawn and talk about my love for Nightcrawler, Kurt Wagner. He, I will say this, a lot of what drew me to Kurt in the first place was his design. I really like the way that Kurt is drawn, his color scheme. A lot about Kurt makes him stand out physically and appearance-wise. So that would, that's part of what drew me to him to begin with. 
In going through this project, I learned so much more about him than I ever knew before, and how lovable he really is. Something that I've noticed, a la something I noticed when we read some of the Spider-Man issues, is that Kurt kind of gets the little nuanced lines that make you fall in love with him. He has interesting commentary where he notices when his family and the X-Men are upset over something, but he'll never push unless they actually want to talk about it. He's always there for people. He's just very a happy-go-lucky character when they aren't in the midst of battle, but even when they are, he fights in such a finessed, dexterous, interesting way that make him a well-rounded, interesting individual that I'm so happy to get to love and know. That being said, through reading this, my least favorite character has actually been Charles Xavier. And I think what was probably the final nail in the coffin was reading Uncanny X-Men 138, where Scott goes through everything he's been through as an X-Men, and hearing what Charles did to the X-Men really makes me upset, because Charles doesn't come off as this refined, wisdom-filled leader. He lies to his team, he just tells them to get over everything, and expects them to not deal with the emotional trauma of pretending you're dead or pretending to lose your powers. I understand there was a greater scheme to things and there's a greater plan, but still, he comes off so cold and harsh, and it's really hard for him, from what it seems in the way they're writing him, that he can't not see the X-Men as children or students. Sure, you are running a school, but the only person at this time who is young enough to be an actual student of yours is Kitty Pride, which we see a little bit of them having to do the actual schoolwork. But Charles doesn't hit it for me. He's not likable, and he's just a giant baby. Yeah, Charles does not come off the best, especially during the early Claremont years. Time does shift the perspective on Charles, and I'm eager to see that. However, we still have way more to discuss. Hey everyone, this is Warpath Dylan, and as you can probably tell, my favorite X-Man is James Proudstar, a.k.a. Warpath. Warpath has appeared here on X's for Podcast in the very first episode when Classic X-Men number three was discussed. That's when we saw at the end him grieving the death of his brother Thunderbird and vowing to take revenge on Xavier. That loyalty, though misguided, is one of the top reasons Warpath is my favorite X-Man. Not to mention the fact that he is a giant muscly hunk of a man, but back to that loyalty. The loyalty and love for his loved ones is what has always been the driving factor for his decisions in life and on any of the ex-teams that he has been a part of. Whether it be his love and loyalty for his brother, his family, his tribe, his girlfriends, his X-Men teammates, or his mutant species in general, Warpath in his little over 30 years in comics has always been led by that loyalty and heart of his. Another reason I love Warpath is because of his main power set, which is his super strength. What comic book geek growing up has never thought about what they would do with such an awesome power, such a super strength? Growing up and having hardships in life, super strength for someone would always be something that I would wish for. If you're super strong, nothing can stop you, right? So 
in the end, how could you not love a big, strong teddy bear that wants to take care of everyone that he loves? These are the reasons why I love Warpath, and I hope in the coming episodes of X's for Podcast, when we get to more prominent years of comics that feature him, that all of you will learn to love him just as much as I do, if you don't already. Thank you for your time, and as always, you can catch me at Warpath underscore Dylan on the interwebs, and I can always be found at my X-Men Facebook group called House of X. Favorite arcs. Now, I'm going to go first with this one. My favorite arc was probably the Dark Phoenix Saga. It just stands out as a classic. It's so incredible. I've spoken enough about it. I spoke about it for four episodes. If I had to have an honorable mention for this category, it would probably be the Circus Mesmero issue. I really love that one. It's just so much fun. That said, my absolute least favorite stories were the Marvel team-up annual with the X-Men Space God people. And any story that ended with an evil robot. Kyle, what about you? Were there any issues, stories that stood out positive or negative for you? Sure. I mean, Dark Phoenix, that that was really a huge, huge, huge story. But I actually really, really liked the first issue of that Beast story that we read. Oh, yeah. I love that That, one. With it being all horror based and it's it was completely different from what i had read up to that point and it just really opened my eyes to how beast became the blue furry guy that we knew now were there any stories where you were just like nope can't do it can't do it ever again no uh i had a really really hard time deciding on which story to choose for this because champions was full of them but i think that if i'm going to choose one it's going to be quasimodo the living computer or whatever he was oh yeah no quasimodo sucks pretty hard yeah that that was painful to the 10th degree it just i i can't read that it ever again just doesn't work that's why it wound up in one of my bottoms evil robot computers with no 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 jonah i know that really bothered you that that came up all the time for you too yes i (laughs) i don't understand why were there so many evil computers what did the computers do to marvel that they hated them so much that it felt like every time they couldn't think of a villain they decided that computer that's an evil one make it evil that's the villain (laughs) Were there any stories that you cared for particularly? There were a couple of stories that I really, really liked and ones that I enjoyed the most. But I think the one that still sticks out to me and really did speak to me was when the Phoenix enters and it's the first arc where we get Jean as the Phoenix. I think it was something that was done so well and it was such an interesting story concept to have a character become something more than what they already were in ways that they didn't understand yet. And it was really a great way to show the humanity in Jean, which is something that we talked about, what was the ultimate idea of the Dark Phoenix saga. We see Jean talking with Misty about morality and what it's like to die and what would you do. And it's such a real 
realistic take of how someone would approach the situation, at least I feel, if it ever happened in real life. And it's something that just stuck out to me that I really enjoyed reading, and it was the introduction of this famous, iconic character. So that was great. For an issue that I really don't like, and probably was one of the issues that was hardest for me to read, was Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 3. That entire issue was so bad, and I... It was had such a hard plot to follow. I can't even really formulate the words to describe why I thought that issue was such a colossal failure. But I think it just boils down to what we talked about when we covered it in the episode of that. It's that common theme that heroes tend to have where they're willing to sacrifice themselves for a greater good. But they hit that issue a little too hard on the head and on the nose as opposed to being more nuanced about it. And... It really doesn't make sense for Storm to want to sacrifice herself so readily. And it's almost as if Storm forgets there are other people she can save. Yeah, she can save this one civilization, but there are plenty of years to save other people. You're, she'd be missing out on that. I feel like that would defeat the purpose of the character. Yeah, you know, Storm is such a bright, strong, powerful force in the Marvel Universe. A story where she's like, nah, I'll just die. It really did take the wind out. Oh, no. God damn it, Nico. I thought we'd get through a whole episode of that upon that's it. No, Kevo, you have to talk about what's good or bad. I have to go hide in the closet and cry. You go do that. You know, I could jump on the same bandwagon as everyone else and praise the Dark Phoenix saga, which I did really appreciate. But I think for my personal favorite that I'm going to choose, despite how much I feel we criticized it at the time i really liked the team-up arc between captain britain and captain america i would love to see like some sort of modern adaptation of that type of story getting a lot of elements from it you know it was early comic books they were still figuring out a lot of things so the writing wasn't always great but uh, the overall concept, the interaction between the characters, it was really fun. For least favorite, I could also jump on a bandwagon and talk about evil computers because there was one in Captain Britain as well that was defeated by a Cockney cleating lady. <laughs> but instead, I think I'm going to go for the Captain Britain arc where who was the villain that hypnotized the queen? Oh, right. The guy who started Slaymasters. No, Roadmaster, the guy, the Highwayman, the Highwayman, the guy who was in charge of the Highwaymen, right? Yeah, um, all of that was pretty freaking terrible. The manipulator or something? The worst part being that, like, he was only defeated because his escape jet crashed, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, it was, it was really one of, I've read a lot of classic comics at this point, whether it's uh this captain britain the x-men that i've read daredevil spider-man this was one of the worst arcs that i have ever read i was not happy no and it's those sorts of stories building up that really made it that captain britain couldn't stand in my top series category taking a look back at the different titles we've covered I have to say, the series I'm walking away with more love in my heart for than ever is Uncanny X-Men. The characters, the stories, the art, the writing, everything, it just stands out top-notch. What didn't work for me was definitely Classic X-Men. Classic X-Men bogged me down, it bored me, I see Dark Phoenix early on and Jean becoming Phoenix out of nowhere, and I'm like, why? Classic X-Men really lost me as a reader. I also wasn't crazy about Marvel Team-Up. 
But at the end of the day, I'm not a Spider-Man guy as much as I enjoy the webhead. He's not my character. So it kind of makes sense that Marvel team up bored me a little bit. Jonah, for you, what was the best series and what was the worst series? I feel like I would have to have my X-Men card revoked if I said anything but Uncanny. It's just that Uncanny got the love. Uncanny got the TLC that I'm talking about. It got the characterization for some characters, if not all of them. It was just a blast to read through. I enjoyed it. I don't think there were many issues or arcs that were amiss from just the main uncanny run itself. It was just a really incredible fun time to read, and I see why it grew into the franchise it is today, because I'm sure if I was growing up reading this, or if I was a little bit older at the time when these came out, I would love it just as much as I love it right now. So I have to say uncanny. The series that I didn't like the most probably would be Marvel Team-Up. It just, as I said this before earlier in this episode, it didn't hit the mark for me. I think it didn't do the job it was supposed to do well. And it just was missing what a comic should have, which I think should be drawing people in. You have two mediums at your disposal. And the art, I never really complained about it. But all the stories really no. No, I can't agree more. <laughs> no. Kevo, top title. I guess Cap Britain. You know, it's stick with the one that brung you. How about the title that you liked the least of everything you read? I just don't feel like I've read enough titles for this podcast to be able to give an answer on most and least favorite titles is part of the issue that I'm coming up against right now. I don't really have any major qualms with any of them, honestly. Well, that makes you the one of us who's really positive on Marvel Team. Kyle, you and I read some of the hardest material to get through. It was it was a slog. What are you walking away from that you're going to miss the most title-wise, and which title are you going to miss the least? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> um, I'm definitely going to miss Champions the least, because that was honestly horrible. From what I've read... I'm actually not too against Marvel Team-Up. I would honestly be interested in reading more of that, but probably when I'm not doing it for a podcast, when I have just a spare few minutes. So I'd pick one up at a time instead of having to read a couple in, in a batch, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Absolutely. Your last episode is a regular contributor to X's for Podcasts. So sad. Do you have any parting wisdom or parting knowledge for us? There's a, there's not that much bad stuff in the next few dozen issues, I think. So it's going to be a great, great run. And I wish you guys the best. Well, that means a ton. And until we launch our secret <laughs> project, buddy, where can everybody find uh, you online? You guys can find me at... On both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D R A N T I S 82. Kevo, as always, it's an amazing surprise when you pop in and share your amazingness with us. Other than on HTML, our show where we talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and right now, all the different adaptations of the Phoenix saga itself, where can everybody find you? You can find me on the Facebook page for that program, Husbands Talking More or Less, at Official HTML. 
You can also find me on my personal Instagram or Twitter at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, or you can find me and Nico and a whole bunch of really cool, diverse, inclusive superhero stories done by us and our team at KidRiotComics.com. Jonah, as always, it's been a pleasure revisiting Grey Malkin Lane. And until we come back and talk a little bit more about Marvel's Merriest Mutants, where can everybody find you? If you would like to find me and reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. Until we arrive back at this mansion, Nico, where can everyone find you online? You guys can check me out, like Kevo said, over at KidRiotComics.com, like I said, on Husbands.HTML. Or you can check me out on Now and Again, the amazing show I did with my childhood best friend, where we talk about pop music through the lens of the Now That's What I Call Music series, currently focusing on just Carly Rae Jepsen discography, because... That's totally in line with the show. And you can check me out on Instagram, being kind of thoughty, at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I can't wait to be back here and talk more mutants. And until then, everybody have a great day. We'll see ya. See ya. Okay, bye. See ya.